Well, I have uh, looked forward to uh, this uh, Sunday. It's uh, April Fool's, and I promise I'm not going to play any jokes on you. My brothers and I used to do that to each other all the time, and it was really scary and not so much fun. And so I'm not going to do that to you today. I am going to talk about being a fool for Jesus. And the question I'm going to ask you is, whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? Another lifetime ago, long time ago, when I was in high school, and it really does feel like a whole other lifetime ago. But I uh, used to sit in choir next to one of the, the uh, athletes and very popular kids in our school. It was a large school, and he was very well-known, student body president, and, and very popular. And, and uh, he knew that I was a Christian. I was pretty bold about that in my, in my last couple of years of high school, especially. I was what they called a Jesus freak, and, and everybody knew. And I had bumper stickers on my locker and carried a Bible with me around the class. And it was not just one of these. It was a big Bible. So I was pretty bold about it. And I remember him sitting in choir telling me once. He saw me put my Bible under the seat. And he looked at me and said, anybody who believes that Jesus BS is a fool. That was his quote, by the way, not mine. And I just smiled and said, yep, well, that would be me. By the way, uh, now he's a Christ follower. It's a great story. He's a Christian now. Uh, but it's, it was one of those experiences I had where you guys just really challenged me. Why would you do that? You're just foolish. About uh, eight or nine years later, when I was working in banking, it was actually pretty successful. I had a great job, great career on my way to bigger and better and grander and things. And, and uh, it was, it was, I, was, I just had God's blessing on me. And uh, I told a friend of mine, a guy that I worked with actually for quite a few years, I said, you know, I, I want to, my, my dream is I want to get into ministry. I want to be a pastor. And he grew up Cuban and, and uh, Catholic. And so he said out of that experience, he said, anybody who gives up a prosperous career to want to be a priest is a fool. And I smiled and said, well, except for the priest part, that would be me. I had four kids and a wife. The priest thing was not going to happen. <laughs> so I said, yeah, that would be me. And about 10 years ago, I had a friend of mine who, uh, a good guy, I love him, but we were talking about uh, starting this little thing called East Point out in the Spokane Valley, and at the time I was on Life Center staff and had a great job and a great team, and, and he looked at me and said, anybody who gives up a great job and leaves a great church to go out and take the risk of planting a church is just a fool. And I smiled and said, well, that, that would be me. That, that's, that's, that's me. For many, they think that anyone who chooses the way of the cross is a fool. That anyone who wants to be a Christ follower is an idiot and just they don't get it. And it seems foolish in our culture to not go for the gusto. It seems foolish in our culture to not go for the golden ring, to not, to not live for yourself. It seems foolish in our culture to follow and to believe in a guy that lived 2,000 years ago. I know. It seems crazy. And if you're here today and you're investigating Christianity or you're watching this later online, I want to tell you something you need to hear. Please listen to me. If you choose to truly surrender your life to Christ, to become a Christ follower, to become a Christian, to give your life to him, some, maybe many in your life will, will think that you've gone off the deep end and that you're a fool. They won't get it. They won't understand it. They may applaud your spirituality. Have you noticed in our culture that being spiritual is kind of in vogue now? That's cool. And, and, you know, in fact, surveys have shown that 90% of Americans consider themselves spiritual. Now, what spirit or what religion is a whole other issue. So it's kind of in vogue. It's, it's in fad to be spiritual. They may say that's okay, but they will be quick to point out, and in fact, they will call you a fanatic if you talk about the life-changing relationship, not just a religion, but a life-changing relationship that you have with a living God. In fact, they will try to discourage you from taking this Jesus thing too seriously, going too far with it. 
They might even encourage subconsciously or maybe not so subconsciously what I call Christian agnosticism. Now, it's an interesting mix of two words. Uh, an agnostic is one that says, I don't know if there is a God. I don't know if I believe. And a Christian agnostic is someone, I, I define it this way. It's someone who says, I believe in God, but I'm not sure that I want to fully live for God. A Christian agnostic is one who says, it's okay to identify yourself as a Christ follower and wear a cru crucifix and a, a nice little pretty cross around your neck, but don't talk to me about carrying, taking up my cross and carrying it daily for Jesus, which is in fact exactly what Jesus called us to. A Christian agnostic will say, well, I, I'm going to go to church whenever it's convenient and I may see some songs and drop a few bucks in the offering plate once in a while, but I don't know. If I want to get too connected or too involved, I don't know. After all, you've got to have a life. That would be the attitude of a Christian agnostic. It's I, God. It's God on my terms. It's a safe religion. But I have to tell you this this morning. And boy, in the first service, a lot of people with the white eyes and the deer caught in the head like in this message. I know it's challenging, but let me tell you, here's the problem with all of that. God's way is not a safe way. It's not. Read the book. Get into the book of Acts this week and read a few chapters or read the entire book and, and look at the stories of the Christians in the first church. Look at church history. Look at those in many parts of our world today. My brother's a missionary in, in Africa in a country that's Islamic and Christians are, are often mistreated there. I told you last week about friends I have in Nepal where it's illegal to become, to convert others to Christianity. There are many in the world, throughout our world today, that are abused for their faith in Christ. Following God is not necessarily safe. And I want to suggest to you the way of the cross is radical. In fact, it's full on, it's extreme, and it's intense, and it is intended to affect everything about everything in your life. The way of the cross, of following Jesus, is meant to affect everything about everything in your life. And quite frankly, God's way will absolutely look foolish to many around you. They just won't get it. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. He said, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. Paul says, The message that I'm preaching, this message of a crucified Savior who's risen alive, they would think that's just foolishness. You've got to be kidding me. And yet to those of us who've experienced it, who know it, it is the power of God. When Paul arrived in the city of Corinth, where he wrote this letter years later to the church in Corinth, he had just come from a place called Athens in Greece. Both Corinth and Athens are, are Greek towns. And his experience in Athens was extremely frustrating. I think it's in Acts chapter 17, the story of Paul there. Not very fruitful, didn't plant a church in Athens, didn't have a lot of success. I, sometimes I take comfort in the fact that he was a frustrated preacher and had a hard time with these people in Athens. And he leads there and goes to Corinth. And he writes these words here to, to a Greek culture. Because the Greeks, here's what, what they valued. They valued wisdom. They were philosophical. They considered themselves cultured. Guys like Plato. And, 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 and they, they, would, they would want it to make sense. And they would love to debate and argue and, and get into it. And this whole, all this stuff about a crucified person died on a cross, shed his blood. Ooh, and that through the redemption of what this guy did, that we can become, you know, transformed and changed, just didn't make sense. They thought it was foolish. They absolutely thought it was whacked. To the Jews, 
Paul says the preaching of the cross was a stumbling block. <laughs> For in the Jewish culture, a little insight here you may not know. In the Jewish culture, anyone who died on a cross, anyone who died that way was considered cursed by God. Cursed. And so it made absolutely no sense to them to believe for even a moment that a true Messiah could suffer that fate. No way. No way. And so the preaching of the cross was a stumbling block for the Jews. Foolishness. And to many in our world today, to many, it still seems ludicrous and absurd. But to us who have known the power of the cross, of God's grace and forgiveness and mercy in our lives, it is... It is life. It is power. And so I'm, I'm a fool for Jesus. It's settled. I'm, I'm, I'm in. The question I want to ask you this morning, whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? And I want to identify a couple of implications of being a fool for Christ. There are many we could talk about. I think probably the two most important would be these two that I want to land on today. Here's the first one. To be a fool for Christ is to be bold for him. As you're empowered by his Holy Spirit, to live in him. It's a mouthful, but it's so important you get it. To be a fool for Christ is to be bold, courageous, crazy, radical for him. Not in your own strength, not in your own ability. I love this. But as you are empowered by his Holy Spirit who dwells within you, to live in him. One of the marks of those who belong to Christ is an uncanny and uncommon boldness and willingness to be associated with Christ, with him, and to proclaim his story and your story. One of the marks of our faith is that we ought to be telling as many people as we can around us the story of God's goodness, his grace, and the story of what he's done in us. And by the way, today's the last day of the class called Fearless Conversations. Pastor Jeff wrote it's a great course. Uh, it will be running again in September. He told me if you want, if he gets enough people to sign up, you can use the communication card, fill that out, put fearless conversations on it, and he'll run it sooner than that if, if there's enough people who want to do it. But it's one of those courses that I wish every one of you would take. You know, sometimes people tell me, well, you know, I know, Kurt, you're all about evangelism, and you're all about reaching lost people, and yes, I am a lot about that. But I am also about discipleship. In my world, it's not either or, it's both and. You don't have anybody disciple unless people are being won to Christ. You get that, right? Right? Thank you. And so we are not just about reaching lost people. We are about helping you become every bit the man or woman God wants you to be. And we offer great classes, great courses, great support, life groups, a lot of things that are designed to help you. And one of the classes is that class, Fearless Conversations. And it's designed to help you learn how to tell your story and his story in a very simple way. And I'm not talking about when we tell our story about being weird or wacky either. You don't have to stand on a street corner with a sandwich sign. Like a guy I saw a few weeks ago down by Wally World. And I, you know, I'm not criticizing or judging the guy. I just, even, I drive by and go, that's just kind of weird. You don't have to stand on a soapbox in the mall and preach hellfire and damnation to everybody. And by the way, if you do that, please don't tell them you're from East Point, Okay. That's not what I'm talking about. We tend to go there. I'm talking about you being enabled, empowered, emboldened, filled with God's spirit, equipped to share his story and your story. I'm talking about you being identified with Jesus as his follower in a bold way, in a bold way. 
And where people in your sphere of influence, in your world, where you go to school, where you work in your neighborhood, where you work out, where you shop, where you get coffee, that the people in your world, they know that you belong to him. That they're, it's obvious to them that you belong to Jesus. One of the great examples of spirit-empowered boldness in the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 3. I love the story because the characters in the story are Peter and John. Now, a little insight. I'm going to paraphrase the story. But uh, Peter is the guy who denied even knowing Christ. Not just once, three times. And he didn't just say, well, you know, I'm not really sure. Peter emphatically denied knowing Jesus. Jesus said that was going to happen. Peter said, no way, not me. I'm with you. I'm going down. I'm with you, Jesus. No, No way I'm going to deny you. Three times. Before the cock crow, before the sunrise, he said, nope, don't, nope, 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 don't know the man. That very guy, within a matter of a few months now, and Jesus died, was resurrected, he had this incredible encounter of, empowered by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They were on their way to church like you guys, coming to church. They were on their way to temple to worship, to pray, to be with God's people. And they're on their way, and they go to this place called the Beautiful Gate. And there were beggars there. Back in that day, they didn't have social security. If you were crippled, lame, if you were broken, wounded, if you were sick, your only hope was the charity of others. And so beggars would go to the temple. Hey, let's go to where God's people are because they're supposed to be kind and merciful. And, and they, would, they would sit there. This guy's lame, not lame personality-wise, lame as in he's, he can't walk. And he says to Peter and John, Money, can you help me? Get a buck for a guy that's down and out, Pete. And Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I given you. Rise up and walk. Powerful story. It's got to get miraculously instantly healed. Well, you can imagine, a lot of people were drawn, attracted to that. There was a crowd all of a sudden all around. And, and Peter, never wanted to miss an opportunity, begins to proclaim to this crowd the gospel, the story of Jesus, the resurrection from the dead, that this one that was crucified and, and died right here, and Jerusalem is alive and he lives today. Well, as you can imagine, the chief priest, the, the priests, the religious Pharisees, the guys who were running the show at that time, were not happy. And they were very disturbed, it says, by this preaching. And so they sent the temple guards to arrest Peter and John. They're thrown in jail. They spend the night in jail. Next morning, they're dragged in front of these guys. Now, little, again, a little insight here. Very important you get this. The guys, Peter and John, in Acts chapter 4 now, are dragged to, in in front of, those are the very same guys who killed Jesus. Their best friend, their savior, these are the guys, the chief priests, these are the guys who said, crucify him. Get rid of him. And now Peter and John are standing in front of this very same group who has the power to do the same thing. To kill them, to crucify them. And Peter, (laughs) I love this story. He starts preaching to these guys. Oh, here's all I know. The one you killed is alive. And the one you've rejected is, is, is the Savior. And it was powerful. And, and they didn't know what to do with him. In fact, it says in Acts 4.13, I love it. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, country bumpkins from Galilee, they really were just normal, everyday guys, kind of considered hicks. When they saw, realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished. They were blown away. And they took notes that these men had been with Jesus. 
what happened? How did Peter go from, I don't know the guy, leave me alone, to preaching to the very people who crucified Jesus? Peter and John were emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they were more than willing to be fools for Christ, more than willing to risk their life for the sake of the kingdom. You know, a lot of us are proud to identify ourselves with a sports team, whether it's the Cougs or the Huskies or the Ducks you know, or, or the Mariners. We're pretty proud to identify ourselves with a sports team. We will wear their jerseys and their hats. And Pastor Brian uh, is a huge, underline huge, Vikings fan. Now I feel bad for him. <laughs> but, but I can relate. I grew up half my life in the Midwest, lived in Minnesota. I, for many years, was a Vikings fan. Before Brian was even out of diapers, I was a Vikings fan. And uh, he wears their jerseys. He's got a Viking hat. He actually has, I kid you not, he's got a Viking watch. That's just not right. <laughs> and, and so every time he looks at the clock, you know, he, he's got a Viking trash can in his office. The guy's a fan. But here's the thing about the Vikings. They're losers. Four times they've been to the Super Bowl. How many times have they won? Zero, not a zip, nothing. They've never won the Super Bowl. They've broken my heart so many times, I can't believe it. But Brian is a diehard Vikings fan, and, and he always has been, always will be. Why would he identify with losers? Because <laughs> he's loyal, and because he loves his team, and because he's hoping that someday they'll win. But here's the deal. Though I weep for him, I admire him. His willingness to stand with a team that really hasn't done that well. Guys, are you willing to be identified with Jesus? The King of kings, the Lord of lords. Are you willing to be empowered by his spirit to tell his story, the story of Jesus, and your story, to people around you? Again, not in a preachy, Bible-thumping, self-righteous, religious way, but to just tell people what Jesus has done for you? Are you willing to risk rejection in our world where it's not very popular to be a Christ follower today? You can be spiritual again, but don't be Christian. Are you willing to take the risk of, of grabbing one of these tickets and extra tickets available there and, and inviting people at the risk that they might go, that's just stupid. No, I don't want to. What do you, I didn't know you were a Christian. And maybe a little bit that's our fear sometimes, isn't it? That once we out ourselves that they're going to say, dude, you've got to be kidding me. You're a Christian? I've heard you. I've seen you. you don't. And they kind of they throw the, you know, the hypocrite thing, the hypocrite excuse at us. You know what I love to do when people do that with me? I just say, you're right, man. I am broken. I do have all sorts of stuff. I'm still, I still, lots of areas that I still need to grow in. And, I, and I'll tell them, and that's why I need a Savior. Yeah. That's, why I do, I, that's exactly why I need Jesus in my life. I'm not perfect, but I'm forgiven. Are you willing to risk rejection? Are you willing to put that crazy one-minute little 3D video out there on your Facebook page and identify yourself as one who follows Christ? And invite your friends, invite your family, invite them to come. Sometimes it's more than just putting a Jesus sticker on our bumper, by the way. Sometimes it's more than just some simple thing, but it's being willing to lay our lives down and to serve, to love. And here's the promise of God's word. I love this. The promise of God's word is when you ask for his help, when you ask for his spirit, he's going to give it to you. You're going to have everything you need to do everything he's called you to do. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. 
I mean, you're going to have everything you need from him to do everything he's called you to do. Our part is to step out, to take the risk, to invite people, to encourage people, to tell them our story. And as we do, here's the other promise of the scripture, we will see lives changed around us and we'll live an adventure like you've never lived before. That's where it's found. To be full for Christ and to be bold for him as we're empowered by him to live for him in every way. Here's the second thing, number two. To be a fool for Christ is to share his values and his heart for God's kingdom. To share his values. To own those things that matter to him. And to share his heart for the kingdom of God. Let me put it to you another way. To be a fool for Christ is to live a life of passion and hunger for God above all else. A life of passion and hunger for God above all other things. And it will be seen. If that's true of you, it will be seen. You may stumble from time to time. We all do. But it will be seen in your values. It will be heard in your words. It will be seen in the way you love the unlovely and treat those that other people don't treat very well. It will be seen in your heart as you have a heart for the things that matter to God and for the people that matter to him. The reason why so many of those around you will think you're foolish and off your rocker is that one of the other things they'll see in you is a value system that is completely contrary in many ways to the value system of this world. In fact, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more fully devoted you become as a disciple of Christ, the more you realize that God's values are often, often the exact opposite of the values in our culture. Let me give you a few examples. Our culture has the value of self-preservation, self-centeredness, self-first, me first. Got to take care of number one, baby. That's That's a value in our culture. Yeah, you can do things for others, but just make sure you take care of yourself. Got to take care of it. It's self-preservation. The kingdom of God, there's this incredible value called self-denial, where we're willing to take up our cross, where we're willing to die, if need be, for the sake of the kingdom. And our culture is another value. Acquire, hold, keep, don't let it go, be careful. But in the kingdom of God, the value is sacrificial generosity. We give, and we give, and we give, and we give. And it, we, don't, we don't live in fear, but we live in faith. And our culture, and boy, you see this one all the time. You cannot, in fact, you cannot turn on a television program any night of the week. You cannot turn on the TV and not see this value stated again and again. And not necessarily, you know, it doesn't pop up on the screen like it does here in our notes. It, it's, but it's stated again and again and again. And here's the value. If it feels good, do it. Situational ethics. Yeah, there's really no absolutes. If it's, if sometimes it's okay to do the wrong thing if you're doing it for the right reasons. Relative. It's all relative. Relativism. That's the culture that we live in, guys. And you cannot watch the idiot box one night without seeing that over and over and over again. What's the kingdom value? Obedience to God and his word. Out of love. Not out of fear, not because we have to, but because we've experienced the love and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God in our lives, we want to follow him and obey him and live for him. To be a fool for Christ will often send you swimming upstream against the flow of our culture. And it won't, it won't be easy. It won't be fun. Are you listening? Where do we get that idea? Oh, how come it's so hard to follow Jesus? 
Where do we get the idea that it would be fun, always fun and always easy? I don't see that in the New Testament. I don't see that in church history. I don't see that in many parts of the world today. It's not always easy. It's not always fun to go against the flow of our culture, but it's the call of a Christ follower. Had a businessman come to me quite a few years ago, and uh, he said, you know, I've, I've been very successful, but to be honest with you, some of my business practices have been dishonest, and I feel like God is asking me to change. And I smiled and said, sounds like Jesus to me. I had a young couple, and I know this is a hot button. I know this pushes people's, you know, I know. But a young couple come to me, this church, a couple years ago. And they'd gotten saved. They both had come to know the Lord about the same time. I think it might have been the same Sunday. And they were living together. And they came to me about four months later, and they said, you know, we feel like maybe God wants us to get married. <laughs> I smiled and said, sounds like Jesus to me. Yeah. They had a change in their value system because of the transformation of God working in them. Had a kid when I was uh, on staff at Life Center after a Wednesday night service. I'll never forget it, because I never had this happen before. Came up to me after a Wednesday night, <laughs> Wednesday night service, and he had me this big bag of pot, Ziploc bag of pot. And he said, Kurt, I, I don't think God, dude, I don't think God wants me to get high anymore. Would you take this from me? <laughs> and I did, and it was the best pot I've ever smoked. It was, I'm kidding. <laughs> Email should go to Pastor Brian at eastpointchurch.org. <laughs> Inside joke. Now, I, I, in fact, I was a little nervous. I thought, man, I could get busted. I, I ran to the bathroom. I'm flushing that stuff down the toilet as fast as I could. Why did he do that? Because he had a change in his value system. God, the Holy Spirit, working inside him, began to show him that there's a better way. There's a way of the kingdom. And, and, I, and, I, and one of the things, by the way, I tell people all the time, you don't have to get your life all cleaned up to come to Christ. I say that all the time to people because I hear it all the time. Well, once I get rid of that or deal with this or have that problem fixed, I'll, I'll come to God. I go, no, 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 no. Come to God with all your brokenness, all your stuff, all your garbage. Come to him just like you are. He's going to love you, accept you, and then here's what he does. Once you give your life to him, he works from the inside through his Holy Spirit. And it begins to transform. Now, sometimes people have this 180 overnight. Boom! I just like, wow! That guy's just radically 180 degrees going the opposite. Sometimes, though, it's a process. Sometimes there's steps. And, and I give people lots of room and grace and trust God to get them where they need to be. To be a fool for Christ is to embrace and own and accept a way of life where his values become your values and where nothing matters more to you and loving God and loving people. Loving God and loving people. And it's what's going to drive you and, and mark your life. And as you become that person, wholly devoted, fully surrendered to him, then his kingdom will become your first priority. And again, sometimes it takes a, a season, a while, for that shift to happen. But let me just make this so clear to you. Listen. Seeking first the kingdom of God is not just for crazy guys like me. It's not just for a few who really get, you know, buy it and, okay, whatever. No, the call is for all of us, all of us who call Jesus Lord to live in a way where his kingdom is our first priority, where the kingdom of God, the rule and advancement of the kingdom of God is what we dream about at night. 
is what we wake up in the morning. It's one of the first thoughts we have. As we go throughout our day, we're thinking about the kingdom. We're thinking about ways that we can love people and show people the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. The kingdom of God, the advancement, the priority that becomes first in our hearts as we understand how important it is. And why? Why is that such a big deal? Because Jesus taught it over and over. I, there's so many passages I could go to to make this point. Let me just read you one from Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, 57 to 62. And the subtitle of my Bible, by the way, for this, and the NIV says, The Cost of Following Jesus. No question what this passage is about. Luke 9, 57. As they were walking along the road, Jesus and his disciples. A man said to him, guy came up and said, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere, wherever you go, I'm in. And Jesus looked at this guy and replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Does anybody else think that's just a little weird? The guy comes up and says, I'm in. I want to follow you. And Jesus says, great, you might be homeless. That's what he's saying. It might cost you everything. It might cost you everything to follow me. Do you understand that? He said to another man, Jesus said, follow me. Pointed at the guy and said, come here, follow me. And he replied, this guy said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, verse 60, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's just weird. He just wants to go bury his dad. What's up, Jesus? Why are you being so hard? Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. All I want to do is say goodbye. No. Make the kingdom your priority. Don't look back. Press on, press on. And I know some of you hear that passage and you're thinking, man, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I'm just going to rip that page out. I don't like that one. Sounds so extreme. Sounds so fanatical. Why can't I just give God a couple of hours on Sunday, including my drive time? Why do I have to live that kind of life? What are you talking about, Jesus? Why is it such a big deal? Well, here's why. Because there are broken people all around us that are dying for hope. And guys, you and I, we have the hope. We have the hope of the world. The church offers the hope of the world. You offer the hope the world. Why is this such a big deal? Because there are people broken by the darkness of sin, the depravity of sin. They're bound by physical things, addictions, relational things that are tearing them up, financial. They just, they're so much broken, so, so much darkness in their life, and they need to be set free. And we have the message of freedom that we can proclaim to them in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be bound by that anymore. You can live free. Why is it a big deal? Because people are lost and they are desperate for a Savior. Why did Jesus make this so emphatic? Why did he make this point so many times? I just read one passage. It's in the New Testament again and again and again. Why? Because the eternal destiny of your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors... The eternal destiny of people all around us is at stake. 
Why does Jesus require absolute allegiance and total commitment to his kingdom and his cause? Because in the end, what's at stake is life and death. Life and death. Why do I challenge you so often to love God passionately? To connect with others in community like I spoke about last week. To serve, to lay your life down, to grow in your faith. Why? Why do I encourage you without apology? Listen to me, without apology. To give your time, your energy, and yes, your money. Why? Because Jesus calls us to be all in for the sake of his name and his cause, and lives are at stake. That's why. And you can bank on it. I promise you, many in your world will think you foolish if you live that way, if you live that life. But it's always been God's way from the beginning. Let me just run through a few quick stories, real quick. A guy named Noah. Kind of relate to him this week. Felt like I needed to build an ark in my backyard. Record rainfall in March, hallelujah. Noah, told by God, I want you to build an ark. A what? I want you to go build an ark. Why? Because I'm going to flood the entire earth. Really? Yep. And what did people say about Noah? You're a fool. Right up to the point that they're taking their last breath. A guy named Abraham. God comes to the, one of the fathers of faith, the patriarchs, and he goes, Abe, I want you to leave your family, leave everything you know, leave that comfort zone you've got, and go to the land that I will show you. God, could have a few more details? Nope. Leave and follow. Okay. God comes to a guy named Gideon. Love this story in Judges. He says, Gideon, you're going to be my mighty warrior, and you're going to set my people free. You're gonna, I'm going to use you to defeat the Philistine army, which was huge, massive, and so Gideon gathers an army, about 30,000, small compared to the army they're going against. But he says, well, 30,000 guys, we got God, let's go. God goes, time out. Too many. If you win with that 30,000, then the guys will take credit. I, I want to make sure they know who's doing the battle for them. Reduce the army down, and he reduces it from 30,000 to 300. How many of you think that's just a little foolish? Wait a minute, you don't go to war with a smaller army, you go with a bigger army. You don't get rid of guys, you get more guys. God says, nope, this is my way. Trust me. David, <laughs> inspired by God to go defeat a giant. He's a teenage kid with five stones and a slingshot goes against the biggest, baddest, ugliest guy in the world and kills him dead. But the, his own brothers thought, you're an idiot, you're a fool. All the way to Peter. Why I landed on him. A guy who made plenty of mistakes, denied Jesus, made lots of, of stupid failures all, all on his own. And yet Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to use you. And upon this rock, upon you, through you, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell and not prevail against it. And everybody who knows Peter is going, are you kidding? Jesus, come on. Pick John. You know, Pick anybody. But that's what God's way. He chooses the weak and the foolish of this world, if you read on in 1 Corinthians, to do what only he can do. And God says to you and me, he calls us 
He says the world needs fools. The world needs fools. Fools for my sake. Fools for the cause of my son. Fools for the advancement of my rule and my reign on this earth. And why? Why does God need fools? Because it's fools that have changed and will change the world we live in. It's fools that are radical and passionate about Jesus that will reach this culture and turn it upside down. Better put, right side up for the kingdom of God. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Jesus, I know that what you taught, what you called us to, it really is radical and it's intense. And, and honestly, it's a little scary. We're not sure if we can do it. And, and God, that's why I'm so glad that you gave us your Holy Spirit, that you have promised us to empower us, to give us everything we need. But God, I also know our part in this is to say yes to you. It's there. It's like the fountain is there. We just got to turn it on. We got to step up and, and engage and say yes to you and follow you and throw in with you to go all in for the kingdom. And God, I love these people. I love this church. And I love what you have done in us and through us for these last nine or so years. And God, I believe that there's so much more that you want us to do as we reach the 80, 85, 90% in our county who are far from you, who aren't anywhere this morning, they're not going to church. They're not vitally connected. They're not engaged. They don't know you. And you have put us in their world to be the light, small L, but the light of the world. To be fools for Christ. To be your hands, your heart, your mouth, your life extended. And so God, please, break us of fear. Break us of pride. Break us of the things, Lord, that hold us back. And help us today to say to you, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm ready. I'm, and, and then I need you to cry out, God, fill me with your spirit because I can only do it in and through you. And then change our values, God. Change what matters most to us as we see what matters most to you. I'm asking you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed and maybe you're here today and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower. And if there's anything you probably understand right now is the cost. Maybe better than you ever have before. You get it. It's not just about joining a church or religion. It's not just about believing in something, but it's about surrendering to something. It's about embracing the cross and following Jesus. And, and you get it. And, and you might be thinking, I don't know if I can do that. On your own, you can't. But you make the decision. You choose him, and he empowers you. He gives you what you need. And if you're here today and you, you realize that's the life, I want that, I need that, I'm ready to accept the grace, the forgiveness, the grace of God and to give my life to him, then I'm going to pray this very simple prayer right now. I'm going to ask you just to make these words yours. Make my prayer your prayer right now. Jesus, I surrender. I yield. I give you my life, all of it. Not just a part of it, not just a piece of it, but all that I am. And I do so because I, I get it now. You gave your all for me. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. And I thank you for the cross. And that this week we are reminded of the sacrifice you paid, Jesus. I, I get it. And I, I thank you for loving me enough to die for me. And I thank you that you love me enough to live for me. And now I pray, God, live in me and help me to live in you. Now, if that's your prayer, just in your own way, say, yep, Jesus, that's me. It's what I want. 
And the moment you do, you begin that journey, that lifelong, that eternal journey of being his, his child. Lord, for those that have made that decision here in this room or watching online, God, I pray that you show them what it means and that you would remind them they don't have to do this on their own and that you're going to work in them now, Lord. If they just get up tomorrow again and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and a month from tomorrow and 10 years from tomorrow, they just keep saying yes to you and you will do what needs to be done to get them exactly where they need to be. But thank you, Lord, that they've begun today that journey as a child of God. God, help us all to leave this place empowered by you to be more like you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with a song of worship. Great, motivating, encouraging song we're going to give as we worship. Uh, it's time to put those, those tarot tabs, the prayer request or communication cards in there. And I'll come back and wrap it up as we finish singing. Let's worship. Here's the deal, guys. There's no plan B. Only plan A. And that's it. And you're it. God's counting on you. Not just preachers, not just a few, but you to tell the world, your world, your sphere of influence. And one of the simple things you can do, and you do a great job about that, almost every Easter and Christmas we pack this place out, invite. Invest in someone's life, love them, and invite them. Grab more of these tickets. And all I ask is that take what you take, use. And hand them out at the coffee shop, Fred Meyer, Wally World, wherever you live, and your neighbor slipping under their door and only let them know it was you. I don't care. But tell Bring, invite people to come. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, tell somebody. This will be your first confession that you believe in Jesus. And what a great thing to say, yep, you know, I, that, that guy, I prayed that prayer today. And I began my life today as a Christ follower. On the tables by the doors as you walk out, it's got a bat packets there. It says for new Christians, got a Bible, some material to get started and walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. More tickets are there as well. Whoever has the clipboards, wherever they're at for Adventureland, would you take them back to that table right over there? And Pastor Matt's back there. and Just take them back to him. And if you didn't get a chance to see the clipboard but you want to sign up, go see Matt. Prayer team will be down front. Communion is available inside. I'm excited about this next Sunday with you guys. Pray for the teams. Pray that God will keep us healthy and strong. Pray for your friends and neighbors. Invite them and come on back next week. And while you're, many of you are on spring break, go enjoy the snow. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. <laughs>